Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. It's good to see all of you here on this beautiful summer day. So my husband and I just moved into a house in Mount Lake Terrace, and um, the, the the yard needed a lot of work, let's say. And so we have been spending a lot of time outside to the glee of the neighbors, but it's also been very restorative as we have just kind of brought order to chaos. And um, it's been a lot of fun and certainly grateful for this lovely weather that we're having. Well, today we wrap up our sermon series on the Bible and its importance and how to read it. And I really enjoyed um, being reminded of the big words like exegesis and hermeneutics. It's good to bring those back. And um, it's also just renewed my appreciation for the gift of scripture that God has given us. I'm grateful that it is dynamic that the Holy Spirit was present when it was written, that the Holy Spirit was present when it was brought together and canonized, brought into the books that we know as Scripture, and that God is still present when we read it, that there's this dynamism to the reading of Scripture. I love the promise that he made in Isaiah 55, where he says, As rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my words be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word isn't an end in itself, but it's a means for God to accomplish his will and desire in us and in the world. One of the ways that we can become familiar with scripture and what God might be trying to say to us is by looking at a particular word and seeing how it's used throughout scripture. And so this is what I want to do this morning. So this, this morning we'll focus on the invitation, come, and specifically as Jesus used it in the Gospels. In Matthew, when he encountered Peter and Andrew, Jesus said, come, follow me. In John, when two new disciples were following him and asked him where he was staying, he said, come and see. And after warning the crowds of the dangers of missing the point of his signs and miracles, he invited those open to hearing to come and find rest. And then finally, after his crucifixion and resurrection, when he encountered his closest disciples by the Sea of Galilee, he invited them to come and join him. Invitations to come can bring different reactions or emotions for us. Maybe when you were a kid, the invitation to come to the principal's office was usually met with fear and dread. And it was only amplified by the silent stares of your fellow students as you walked out the door. Other invitations, like to dances or prom or the movies or any type of date, brought all kinds of emotions, depending on who was asking and where you were being invited. Sometimes you wished you were invited to something 
and you were not. And other times, you got an invitation, and you went, and partway through, you wished you hadn't come. Being invited often confirms to us that we are worthy, that our presence is a value. We're valuable enough to be wanted. A friend of mine wrote a great song, and the title says everything. Please invite me to your party, even if you think I cannot come. We like to be invited. So as we look at the invitations that Jesus extended, I wonder how they sit with us. Do they instill fear and dread or excitement, worthiness? Do we feel better knowing that we are invited? And are we happy just to be invited and a little hesitant to accept the invitations? The truth is that we were made for relationships, and relationships start with invitation. This was true for Jesus, who loved to invite people into relationship with him. And he opened the invitation with the word, come. So let's look first at Matthew 4, 18 to 20. Before we do, we'll look at the context. In chapter 3 of Matthew, he begins his account of Jesus' life and ministry. At the end of chapter 3, he is, Jesus is baptized by John. And then right at the beginning of chapter 4, he is ushered into the wilderness. So he goes from this extreme high of baptism and being honored by, by the Holy Spirit and the Father. And then he goes to a low where he finds himself in a lonely place without food and where then he is tempted by the devil. Out of that wilderness experience, he comes only to hear that John the Baptist, his cousin and forerunner, has died. And so it's into this context that Jesus begins his ministry of preaching in Galilee. This is a pretty dramatic place to start his ministry and how often we are invited to new opportunities as well during a time when things already feel full. And so it's during those times that we need wisdom and discernment and listening for God so that we can train ourselves to hear what he has to say and where he's directing us. So while Jesus began his ministry as a ministry of preaching in verse 17, he doesn't waste much time in beginning to assemble followers. And he doesn't go to great lengths to find the most sophisticated or learned or maybe even likable people. He happens by the Sea of Galilee, and in some miraculous way that only God can fathom, he sees in two fishermen his potential followers. Now, I know we have people in our congregation who like to fish. fish. Most of us, fishing is a sport or recreation, not necessarily the trade. But fishing was a common trade, especially around Galilee, where fish was a staple of the food supply. In those days, fishermen were described as gruff and rugged and not necessarily social. But they did possess useful skills. And it's to these two, Simon and Andrew, that he extends the invitation to come follow me. To the naked eye, they may not have seemed like much, but to God incarnate, they were worthy of being invited, worthy of being participants in the kingdom, and worthy of eventually leading the early church as it established itself in a hostile environment. 
Come, follow me. The word come suggests an invitation to move closer to the one who is inviting, an invitation to greater intimacy. And with the word follow, the invitation is to come behind. Jesus invited the disciples to come behind in close proximity to him, to follow him closely, to learn from the word made flesh, the personification of God's law, God in person, Jesus. In accepting this invitation, the disciples learned to be close to Jesus and behind him. One may think that this was a one-way street of the disciples in subordination to Jesus' leadership, of carrying out his duties as he told them. But Jesus had a bigger vision for his followers who would become leaders and for his own leadership. In Matthew 20, he tells these same disciples, Whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In inviting the disciples to follow him closely and behind him, Jesus is also assuring them that as Simon and Andrew and the other disciples follow his lead, Jesus, their Lord, is going before them on the front line, not asking them to do anything that he has not or will not do first. Jesus invites us to come follow him, to come close as an intimate friend and behind him as a trusting follower. This is not a one-and-done invitation, but rather a daily invitation to stay close and look to him each day to guide and protect. I'm not talking about salvation here. That is one and done. But I'm talking about the daily invitation to put our lives under the lordship of Christ, regardless of what happened yesterday and what might happen tomorrow. Regardless of how worthy or qualified we feel, we walk in faith that we are following a trusted leader who is not sending us out to do his work alone, but is going before us. Come follow close behind, he says. There is no guarantee of end result, but there is the promise that you are not alone. The second invitation is found in John 1, 35 through 39, and I'm going to read this for us. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. This is another account of the first disciples that Jesus invited. John the Baptist knows who he is, and he knows who Jesus is, and he knows where his ministry ends and Jesus' ministry begins. So when John sees him walk by, he enthusiastically tells his followers, Look, the Lamb of God. And in doing that, two of his disciples turn and follow Jesus. So Jesus notices them, that they're following him, and he turns and asks them, What are you looking for? 
I wonder if that question threw those two off. And so the first thing that they could think of was to say, to say was to ask where he was staying. It's a pretty basic introductory question, right? It's often one of the first questions we ask people when we meet. Where do you live? Where are you from? And often, when they answer, our perception of them is quickly shrouded by what we think about that area or city or state that they say that they're from. We quickly and even subconsciously place a value judgment and perhaps We even respond with something like, oh, you're from there. And that's loaded, isn't it? That's a loaded comment. And that's not, like an, that's not unlike one of the disciples who, when he was invited to follow Jesus and heard that he was from Nazareth, he basically said, Nazareth, does anything good come from Nazareth? And so maybe Jesus knew the hearts of these disciples And he knew that if he answered that question, that they would immediately not want to follow him because of their preconceived ideas. He knew their hearts, and he desired to build a relationship with them. And so he, instead of telling them, he invited them to come and see. Jesus longed to invite them to be his followers And it was as companions on a journey to where Jesus was staying that that relationship was solidified. Come and see. The invitation is to draw near and see clearly through experience. Proximity is significant in deepening our understanding of someone or something. Jesus values the journey with us and invites us to value the journey with him to get our answers along the way, not demand them before we begin. A few years ago, I had a shift in my understanding of the Spirit's presence in my own life. Through um, my time with the spiritual director, I began to realize that I would always see God at the end of an accomplishment, whether it be at the end of speaking, at the end of writing something, at the end of meeting with someone. And it wasn't until I began to realize that the whole process, Jesus was present in the writing. He was present with me in the reading and the preparation. All I was doing, he was right there with me along the journey, not just at the end, ready to cheer me when I crossed the finish line, but with me all the way. What I think we can see in the account of Jesus' followers is that God is actually with us in the journey. He delights over us when we are in the midst of the work and play as well, regardless of its outcome, inviting us to engage with him in all we do. God isn't just interested in the beginning and the end, but in what happens in the in-between. We saw this on the road to Emmaus as well, where Jesus literally walked with the disciples and in so doing deepened their understanding of who he was. We are invited to walk with Jesus between point A and point B. He invites us to come and see, and that, begin, be, and that includes the beginning and the end and everything in between. Jesus engages these two disciples with a question, what are you looking for? When they ask him where he is staying, Jesus invites them to come and see. 
And that's what we are invited to do as well. The third way that Jesus invites us is in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, where he invites us to come and rest. Just before this, Jesus has had some pretty harsh words for the crowds who are begging for signs, but not really seeing the point of the signs as being to draw them to, to Jesus. They love the gifts, but are not interested in the giver. They love and desire the entertainment, but they are not desiring the Savior. And they want to be amused, but they don't want to be transformed. And so in the midst of this, Jesus prays and thanks God that his kingdom is a kingdom where intellectual prowess has no dominance and is perhaps even an impediment to seeing the salvation of God. That by design, God has made it easier for children to understand and enter the kingdom than sophisticated adults. And then when he finishes the prayer, he turns back to the crowd and speaks to those who are looking for more. And he says, come to me and I will give you more to do. I will make your to-do and to-don't list longer and more complex. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Congratulations. The more exhausted you are, the closer you are to God. Oh, no, wait, that's not what it says, is it? I'm going to read it from the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus is inviting those who will listen to come and find rest in the rhythms of life that God intended. The gospel isn't good news if it only makes us more stressed out and feel worse about ourselves and those around us. That is not good news for anybody. Jesus came to a context that was trying to cultivate peace, defined by the secular Roman government at that time, and also in a context where the religious life was defined by do's and don'ts that had gotten out of hand. And his invitation was out of that mire of never doing enough into a rhythm and posture of grace and rest. We too live in a culture where we feel expectations from outside and within ourselves. We struggle to do enough or to be enough for God and for those around us. There are multiple places we turn where we hear that there's more we could be doing, that we should be more grateful, that we should be doing things that are more noble or be like those people who are more godly. We all feel weary and are carrying burdens in some way. We are all barraged with new information and the anxiety of the unknown and perhaps in our own efforts to make meaning of it. We take on responsibilities that really are not ours to bear. But that is the antithesis of what Jesus is inviting us to. He invites us to move toward a life that is marked by rest and humility and the joy of discovering and doing what we were called to do at a pace that allows us to thrive.
This is God's desire and his design for us. Into our weariness and heavy burdens, Jesus invites us to rest and to take his yoke upon us. We still have things to do, people to keep in touch with and care for, prayers to offer. But as we look for guidance from our gentle leader, Jesus, we find what is ours to do, and we find that it fits us well. We are invited by Jesus to come to him and rest and to allow rest to be our posture in all we do. And finally, Jesus invites us to come and join him. And this is from John 21. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So the disciples had just gone through the trauma of the crucifixion. And maybe they'd seen Jesus, but they were very unsure what was going to happen next. And they kind of went back to what was comforting to them. They went back to fishing. And they went back to the Sea of Galilee. And they heard a man, a man's voice say, put the net over on the other side. And for some reason, they did. And all this fish came. They hauled it ashore. And they realized that it was Jesus. And Jesus invited them to come and bring some of the fish. And when they got there, they realized Jesus already had fish on the fire for them and bread. He was already there ready to host them in this breakfast. They were just contributing to what Jesus was already doing. And I wonder, as they were there with this load of fish that Jesus had instigated by telling them to put the nets on the other side, if they remembered that when Jesus called them, he said they would be fishers of people, that they would fish for people. And so as they sat around and ate this meal that Jesus had provided for them, even as they contributed to, it was this beautiful picture of Jesus inviting them to come and join him in the fishing for people as they ushered in the kingdom of God. God invites us to join him in what he's already doing. Come and join me, he says. So as we close, Jesus is already at work in, through, and among us. He has invited us to come, follow him close behind, and to welcome him in our daily journey, not just at the beginning and end of the day. He invites us to experience the rest of knowing that what is ours to do and looking to him to lead us gently. And he invites us to participate with him in what he is already doing and to enjoy the fellowship of journeying with others in the work. When I marry couples, I often remind them, you are marrying the man, not the plan. And I also say, you are marrying the woman, not the plan. It just doesn't rhyme as well. 
But when in our walk of faith, we are invited to follow a man, not a plan. And with that invitation comes mystery, confusion, uncertainty at times. But more valuable than that is the promise that this man who invites us to come can be trusted. Trusted to always love us and never leave us alone. And so my prayer for us all is that when we hear Jesus' invitation to come, we will accept. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your gentle invitations to come and follow you over and over again in our lives. Lord, I pray that as we ponder this, what you want to say to us, give us the courage to accept your invitation to follow, follow behind, follow you in our everyday, follow you to rest, and follow you as we join others in the work that you desire to do in, through, and among us. Give us your grace and your courage, I pray, in Jesus' name.